0: Welcome to Medical Minefield, the podcast where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. I'm Eve Simmons.
1: And I'm Ethan Ennels.
0: And we're health journalists, which means we spend our lives asking questions to top experts so you don't have to. This week we're asking, why does weight loss surgery cause some people to take their own life? As ever, we'd love to hear what you think about this topic and any other topic that we discuss on Medical Minefield. Please get in touch by tweeting us at MedMinefield. Minefield. Now Ethan this week we're talking about weight loss surgery otherwise known as bariatric surgery and uh, it seems that hopefully a lot more patients are going to be offered this treatment it's the most effective treatment we have for obesity a lot of experts and campaigners say it is a disease obesity so it's the best treatment we have for the disease of obesity and as of recent months nice have approved the procedure for patients who haven't tried anything else to lose weight so it used to be that you have to engage in uh, years of, of dieting and lifestyle interventions to lose weight maybe even try medication now if you're obese and you qualify for the surgery you will be in theory referred for it
1: which is great news right i mean after all patients wait years for this procedure um, probably quite stressful yeah so this is surely good news right
0: well yes but there are some experts who have exercised a little bit of caution and campaigners and patients too because there is this strange phenomenon which has been seen in lots of different studies whereby the surgery seems to trigger quite severe mental health problems in a subsection of patients and there's actually a five-fold risk of suicide How? after bariatric surgery which is interesting but also pretty concerning so we've been looking into this this week and I've been speaking to lots of doctors and patients and campaigners about this and trying to kind of get to the bottom of where this link lies and it's a really interesting one like anything most of the things that we discuss on Medical Mindfield, it's very complex but it does seem to be that there is this real um, situation that patients find themselves in where they think after surgery everything's going to get better their lives are going to be fixed and that they will suddenly have tackled this problem they've been dealing with their whole life and therefore they'll be happy. And that, of course, doesn't happen. And that seems to lead them into this kind of spiralling depression.
1: Why doesn't it happen? I always imagine, because I've written about this before and I understand that patients lose quite a bit of weight when they have this procedure... So so what is it about it which isn't living up to their expectations?
0: Well, the way that you've worded that is actually really interesting because one of the doctors I spoke to this week said that expectations is one of the keys to making sure that we're protecting the mental health of patients. The average amount of weight loss, depending on the type of procedure, is about 20 to 30% of the person's entire body mass, which sounds like a lot. It really does, yeah. It is, and it has a real significant impact on health. However, depending on your body type, your body shape, lots of different factors. Cosmetically, it can not look that different. And some patients feel that they're going to undergo this huge transformation they're going to wake up after surgery and within a few months they will have the body they've always dreamed of Hmm. and of course that doesn't happen in most cases in fact one doctor i spoke to said that the cosmetic difference can be negligible in some patients although despite the fact that it has huge beneficial implications for health
1: there's some downsides as well right it can be quite painful It's
0: it's, yeah, so it's a very it is a risky procedure again, depending on which type of procedure you have. I think in the UK the most common is a gastric sleeve, Mm. but a bypass is also quite common.
1: How do those work? What's the difference?
0: So all of the procedures work in the same way. They basically just make the stomach smaller,
2: right?
0: um, And they use different methods to do this. So the sleeve actually involves cutting away a portion of the stomach and then with the bypass it's done with staples and the band kind of locks off a little bit of the stomach so it makes it smaller by sort of constricting the rest of it so you end up with like a little pouch. It's
1: quite gruesome, isn't it? It
0: is, but it's surgery that's been done for many, many years now. It is on the whole safe and it is very effective and again it's the best thing that we have. There is a relatively high risk of complications. So there's a 1 in 500 risk Of death with a gastric bypass or a sleeve gastrectomy, which, okay, it doesn't seem high, but one in 500, if you're a patient, does maybe seem slightly worrying. But there's also other risks like 5% of patients will develop really terrible nutritional deficiencies, which involve them needing to go to hospital for a long time for infusions. Hair loss is also a really common one, and often the hair doesn't grow back. So it's a huge extreme procedure Mm. which is undertaken when it's absolutely necessary.
1: And what you found out this week is that even when everything goes to plan and there are no side effects, patients can still end up depressed and often suicidal
0: yeah well it's not often suicidal if you look at the what we're talking about the difference between absolute risk and relative risk which we've talked a lot on this podcast about the risk in general of suicide is still incredibly incredibly low but the relative risk is a bit higher for patients who undergo bariatric surgery compared to those who don't and doctors say that there is a definite link and it's a phenomenon that they see and that mental health really needs to be more thought about when it comes to preparing patients for the operation and in terms of follow-up. One thing that I thought was really interesting is there's lots of studies that have shown a high rate of um, alcoholism following bariatric surgery and also drug dependency gambling addictions
1: swapping one vice for another
0: yeah exactly so there's lots and lots of different reasons and we're going to hear from a patient in a minute who's going to explain a bit of her story it's a very complex situation and obviously everyone is individual but there are several factors so you know for instance as you said lots of people throughout their whole life have taken huge comfort in food and suddenly they can't eat as much as they used to. They can't act out the habits that they used to in order to deal with difficult emotions. So yeah, as you said, something else comes into the picture. Perhaps it's alcohol, perhaps it's drugs. But in other cases, there isn't anything that replaces it. And they're just left with this kind of sense of loss and grief, which can be really troubling. Some patients find it really difficult to adapt to life in a new body and experience this sense that things are different and they've almost got a crisis in identity. They don't know who they are anymore. And
1: and you wrote about how it can affect family dynamics as well.
0: Yes. So another interesting phenomenon is that uh, there's a very high rate of divorce following weight Mm. loss surgery. Again, lots of different reasons. In some cases, one doctor said to me that I think 80% of patients who have surgery are women. And what often happens is that male partners become jealous because the women suddenly find themselves attractive to lots of men and the male partner's... Can't deal with it and feel uncomfortable, and so it creates friction. In other cases, people feel that they've been kind of stuck behind a wall for years because they've been in this body that they don't feel comfortable in, and they they feel that they have no confidence. And suddenly, they've got this burst of confidence, and they want to go out and do things. And perhaps the partner isn't that interested in going out and doing things. So it's a whole different kettle of fish for each person, but really interesting, I think.
1: And what psychological support are they offered currently?
0: Well, this is part of the problem, so. Before you have the surgery, it is mandated that each patient has to have a psychological assessment with a trained psychologist, but that can be an hour's appointment. After that, it really depends. It's a postcode lottery. It depends on the service you're in. Unfortunately, bariatric surgery is viewed as an acute surgical procedure. And so it's treated as such, and it's not looked at in the same way as long-term chronic conditions are after you've had surgery. So it means that. The surgical team, you know, will be very concerned with all of the physical potential complications of surgery, but the psychological side in some cases are sort of missed or not followed up.
1: Right. Because in the same way that if you had heart surgery, you wouldn't expect to be offered some sort of therapy afterwards. It's treated like heart surgery rather than a kind of more psychological problem.
0: And there's some weight management services across the UK that do have an in-house specialist psychologist who may follow up with patients and may, you know, have kind of once every month for the first two years or something. But in other places, areas of the country, that doesn't exist. A doctor I spoke to this week said there's a real problem in recruiting these specialist mental health experts because obviously it's a very niche field. Ugh. And so a lot of services just simply don't have the staff. Some of them will farm out the mental health part of the treatment to a local community mental health team, which perhaps are not specialised. When we're going to speak to, she told me that she was sent to group therapy by her weight management services, but the group therapy was for people with binge eating disorder. And so the majority of patients who were with her had anorexia Mm. and were very underweight, or had bulimia. And she said she was the only person who had obesity. And that was really difficult and traumatic for her. Gosh! So I just think there's a lack of consideration, it seems. But why don't we speak to somebody now who has a wealth of personal experience of this. Joining us now is Angela Chessworth, who lost 12 stone after having bariatric surgery. Angela, can you tell us a bit about what led you to have the procedure? I feel like it was my last
3: chance to live in a healthier body i knew i'd spent 30 40 years yo-yo dieting losing eight stone on a famous uh, diet program only to regain it and more over time i just failed for 30 40 years at trying to be a healthy weight and i'd finally come to the stage where mentally i just i knew i was doing everything i possibly could Health-wise, I had a personal trainer in a gym for two years, at which I used to attend three times a week, doing an hour session and then an hour swim. I had weight management with dieticians, and I knew I was doing everything I possibly could, and my weight was still staying at a higher weight. I couldn't, no matter what I did, I couldn't lose the weight. Mm. And then the bariatric surgery came an option. And I'd, I'd got to the stage where I just didn't want to live in that body anymore. Mm. Um, and no matter what anybody told me, I knew I was eating healthy and I was being as active as what I possibly could.
0: And I knew there was something else. When you were offered the surgery, Angela, were you told about any of the risks to your mental health or any kind of, were you offered any psychological support or anything like that?
3: I wasn't necessarily told of any risks to my mental health but I did have a psychological evaluation as part of the weight management team. However, as a person living with obesity who had got to the stage where I just wanted the surgery because I believed everything that was wrong in my life was because of my weight. Mm. So I'm, I'm quite ashamed to admit, but I told my psychologist what I believed they wanted to hear because I just wanted the surgery because I thought having the surgery, losing the weight, would fix everything.
0: Hmm. And then tell me what happened to your mental health after you had the surgery? Presumably things didn't all become perfect suddenly overnight.
3: No they didn't. The first
0: 12 months
3: was phenomenal. I felt like I'd been reborn. I lost 12 stone in 12 months but that again brought challenges. I struggled with who I was and I struggled with what i seen in the mirror I struggled with the change in society and how society viewed me because I was still Angela, yet everybody around me seen me differently. And I was so judged pre-surgery on how I looked more than how I was as a person. And then when the weight's gone and you're just Angela, you see more weight stigma and bias that's in the world because People don't know your history, so you witness more of comments because people are quite open in public to be able to point and laugh and stare. They won't do it to the person living with obesity
0: so they can see you, but they do it behind your back. So you almost realise this is what people would say about me for many years. Exactly, and it's not just, you know,
3: into strangers. It's family and friends and and your own internal thoughts. It becomes a minefield. Bariatric surgery is a treatment for your body, but there's no treatment for your brain. And it's the brain that is more powerful than anything else. Bariatric surgery absolutely changed my life. Mm. But having cognitive behavioral therapy to deal with the demons and in my head and the years of weight stigma and bias that I'd experienced, um, it was I truly believe it was the CBT that has saved my life. But as an individual, I needed a
0: combination of both treatments. Was the CBT offered to you as part of your treatment?
3: No, unfortunately, it wasn't. It wasn't until post-surgery. There was no evaluation, no psychological support. You see a weight management clinic where you're monitored by a dietitian with regards to the food you're eating and the vitamins within your blood. They sort of can refer you to, to psychological support but again the individual as a patient you don't necessarily recognize that you have a mental health issue mm. i didn't realize that uh, at least once that the bariatric surgery wasn't a quick fix and it didn't fix everything mm. it's deemed in society as, as the easy option and a quick fix mm. when in reality it's absolutely not it's one day and you have the surgery. And that changes how your body reacts to food and the consumption of food. But all the issues that I'd experienced in life were still, the damage was still within the brain. Mm. And I still had insecurities. I still second guessed everything. I had no confidence, which people think oh, you've lost the weight. Everything's great in the world. Mm. But you face things in life that you don't have any experience with. And it's strange, but if you don't experience that, you don't understand it. Mm. Um, I was 40 and had never been approached to go out on a date. And I was in my work and a customer asked me where something was. I showed him and then he asked me what I was doing after work and would I like to go for a drink? And at 40 years of age, I absolutely froze mm. because I didn't know how to react. I thought, is it a joke? Is somebody winding me up? Is it a bet? Because I still felt like I was big mm. and I didn't realise
0: why does this person want to ask me out on a date? Would you say that it was sort of almost worse on your mental health because the expectation was, was there and you, know, you thought that things were all going to be better and then they weren't? Yes, that's a good analogy of it.
3: I think it's because pre-surgery, you're brainwashed by everything in the media and society and your family to think that it's all your fault you choose to be that size, you know, all you need to do is eat less and move more. And I I don't have anything towards the medical health professionals because that's all the resource that they've been told for so many years. If you go to a GP and say you're concerned about your weight, all they can do is tell you to eat less and move more because only till recently they've realized the scientific evidence behind obesity. So, Before bariatric surgery, everything that would happen, life was hard and it was all because of my weight. But then after surgery, when the weight has gone and you're deemed a healthy weight, life's still hard. You still have obstacles and challenges to face. And all of a sudden, you haven't got the weight to hide behind, you haven't got the weight to blame. So, what do you do then and who do you go to then? Because There's no support
0: afterwards, for all that's changing in your life. How's your mental health now, Angela? Can I ask how you're doing? I'm doing okay, but that's for today. Tomorrow
3: Mm. might be different. I'll, I'll always live with binge eating disorder, and I'll always struggle with my weight because bariatric surgery doesn't fix everything. As a person, I still need to take responsibility for what I eat and how I eat. I still need to be as active as what I possibly can to try and maintain my weight but unfortunately the genetics of obesity mean I'm predisposed to be a higher weight Mm. and even though my stomach is you know two centimeters and I physically can't overeat to what I used to do I'm still regaining weight because I'm fighting my own biology and that's the difference in someone who is overweight by a couple of stone and wanting to get in the bikini body you know, and wanting to be a little bit healthier to a person who's living with obesity. Mm. That's the difference and that's what society doesn't understand. Just because you can go to a gym or you can cut out some carbs or do a specific diet and lose a stone doesn't mean that the person who's living with obesity who also does that is doing it wrong. Mm. It means that they have something else going on in their body that is difficult for them to
0: control. Mm. Well, Angela, thank you so much for joining us. It was great to talk to you and um, best of luck with everything. Thank you. I think Angela is such a good example of the power of genetics. We often have conversations in the office between all of us about the kind of extent to which people are responsible for their own actions in terms of eating and exercise. And I don't know, I mean, I think that Angela's case is very clear that there's something going on genetically she has obviously tried all her life to lose weight and can't but I also think that that's true for people who maybe aren't obese but overweight I think that that's the case for a lot of people that try really hard to lose weight and maybe if they're just like a stone over or two stone over
1: what I definitely took away from that is there's often a sense in society that these kind of operations are cosmetic they might be viewed as like a quick fix to a problem you know someone might choose to do this instead of tailoring their diet or exercising but clearly in many people's case such as angela that's just not true i mean she exhausted every single option and it also shows how incredibly positive the operation can be as well the fact that she lost so much weight i mean has probably made her much healthier in the future but then as we have found out there is knock-on effects of that
0: Mm. and if we're not acknowledging the psychological effects and providing support it's almost like, you know, what's the point in doing it? Mm. I think that it also shows really clearly the disparity and importance between physical health and mental health that because somebody loses weight and all of a sudden cuts their heart attack risk in half, it's brilliant and it means we don't really have to think about them. But actually, they could be huge suffering psychologically and the NHS wouldn't even be aware of it.
1: Yeah, totally. And, you know, the reason more of these surgeries has been uh, kind of signed off by the NHS is this massive need to bring down obesity because obesity is a massive burden on the NHS. But if someone's going to end up back in hospital for a mental health issue, that's still more resources which are being spent. So it's better to prevent these problems early and, you know, give people the support rather than, you know, having to help them when they've got serious mental health issues further down the line.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I think right now we should speak to a doctor who treats patients who have bariatric surgery. On the line now is Dr. Alex Mraz, a consultant in endocrinology and researcher in digestion and metabolism at Imperial College London. Hi, Dr. Miraz. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. We're talking today about the um, interesting link between declining mental health and bariatric surgery. In your experience, you've obviously treated a lot of patients who have had this procedure. Why is it that there is this kind of interesting, strange link between suicide and patients who have bariatric surgery?
2: Yeah, so this is a good question. And over the years, based on the literature, We have seen that even though there is a rise in the incidence of suicide in people after surgery, the actual number of people who commit suicide still remains very low, considering the number of people, the total number of people that have surgery. But what we are finding is that in people whom food is a soothing, rewarding, and comforting substance, soothing against stress or against emotional issues, what we're finding is that when this comforting value of food is removed after surgery, because people eat less and they get less of a rewarding value of food after surgery, what we find is that they then need to substitute it with something else. So it might be the case that they substitute it with alcohol or recreational drugs and they themselves can lead to death or suicide, or it might be that if they cannot replace this gap in their lives, then they feel very empty, and that is what leads to suicide.
0: And you're, you know, very kind of uh, keen to point out that the overall risk of suicide is still very low.
2: That is absolutely right. So people should not be scared that the risk is high. It is high air compared to if uh, you have nothing done for obesity and it only happens in specific cohorts of people. And this needs to be a counterbalance and it needs to be put into context because of all the other beneficial effects of surgery. Hmm. So when people are considering having these procedures, there should be given facts, numbers that they can then consider in a balanced way before making their decision.
0: The fact that we know that this is a potential risk, you would have thought that there were, there was lots of support available for the mental health of patients. But from what I understand, that's not the case, is it?
2: Well, unfortunately, and traditionally, obesity and weight management services have been underfunded and under-resourced. So that is one of the challenges. The second challenge is that even if a service is well-resourced, it is difficult to find clinical psychologists, number one, and number two, even more difficult to find clinical psychologists that specialize in the treatment of obesity. So most services may have some kind of link with a psychologist or a psychology team of people. Um, But this link is for excluding major psychological and psychiatric conditions, including severe eating disorders. So they do screening and they do a little bit of follow-up, but people in these services do not get the support that they ought to have in order to pick signs of uh, high risk before the operation and after the operation and intervene at the right time.
0: Do you think that because the physical benefits are so huge that the potential psychological harm may be sort of minimised or not given a lot of attention? Uh,
2: That may well be the case. That may well be the case. And the physical benefits are uh, major. So what we need to do is we need to have safe systems in place so that people can enjoy the beneficial effects of surgery after their operations but also they need to be in an environment of follow-up in which, as I was saying, early signs of something going wrong are picked up and then they are acted upon because that's the way multidisciplinary teams work the best and this is by by having those teams in place, it means that the the risks of surgery are minimised. And if they do take place, if something goes wrong, then the intensity and the impact that that has on the patient is also minimised.
0: I think it's right to say that bariatric surgery is the best treatment that we have for obesity that's currently available. Is that, broadly speaking, correct?
2: Absolutely right. It is the most effective treatment. Things will change in the next few years, but at the moment, it is the most effective treatment. It is the most cost-effective treatment. And in most people, the benefit to risk profile is very much in favour of them having the operation.
0: But given the kind of known about psychological harms or potential psychological harms, do you think that this this is another argument for why GLP-1 drugs are so important and we should get them to more and more patients?
2: So that's an interesting question. It's very important to say that at the moment, we do not have any signal for any of the medications we're using for weight loss that they are causing such issues with people's eating behavior and with people's psychological profiles. However, what I think may happen in the future is that when these medications are able to achieve the same, if not more, weight loss than the operations, we may well start seeing similar problems. And it is not the fact that the medication itself has a um, a bad effect, has got a deleterious effect on someone's mood. It's the fact that by removing the pleasure of food, we are ending up in the void that I mentioned earlier on. And the more weight loss that we are able to achieve with these medications, I suspect we are going to see similar issues after surgery, including other problems that we might see after surgery like nutritional complications or medical complications so we need to really use the knowledge that we have acquired over decades on how to deal with those issues after surgery and apply the same approach to people after medication and I suppose the big difference between the two treatments, and I'm a big fan of both of those treatments, is that with a medication, you can actually stop taking it. Whereas with your surgery, you're pretty much stuck. So that is where the big difference between the two treatments is.
1: Doctor, it's really interesting you say that because, you know, we've heard a lot recently from uh, the government and the NHS about how they want to roll out drugs like semaglutide to just about anyone who's obese or even overweight. So uh, are you suggesting that there are kind of lessons we can take from how we treat bariatric patients and kind of apply them to this much wider group of of patients and stop them also having the same mental illnesses?
2: So I'm actually very supportive of what the government is doing, not only to promote pharmacological treatments, but to generally scale up all of the treatments that we have available. And what we say is that when the tide comes, all boats will rise. So with regards to medications, again, because a very substantial amount of the population has got obesity and complications, it is at the moment practically impossible with the resources that we have to treat all of those people. So even with what the government is suggesting, the scaling will still be very, very small. So what I'm saying is that with the current drugs that we have, okay, and specifically with the ones that the government uh, has been including in uh, their guidance, I don't think we're going to have the issues, the psychological issues that we have, because they do not cause the amount of weight loss that surgery does. But in the next five years, when we do have more effective medication for obesity, we may well see that. Now, remember, I'm being cautious here because I don't have any evidence to tell you that this is what will happen. But based on the basic principles and having seen the way that the medications work, the way that surgery works, I think that that may become a problem that we will need to deal with.
1: So we could be having the exact same discussion, but about those drugs in five years time or so.
2: We might do, but remember that again, the number of people, the total number of people that get into trouble will still be very, very, very small. Which means that we should not be too conservative about offering the huge, the vast number of people, the benefits of the medications because there is no treatment in medicine that carries zero risk, right? So we always have to accept there will be some risk and balance it against the benefits. And again, what I will say about the medications is that the benefits of taking the medication in the vast majority of people will overweigh uh, the risks.
0: Mm. Well, Dr. Miraz, thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure. One thing that I thought was really interesting when I was researching this is that a lot of the doctors had said to me that overall mental health improves after bariatric surgery. If you look at lots and lots Mm. of different people, but actually the evidence for that is quite weak. There isn't a lot of great evidence looking at just the mental health improvements. There's lots of quality of life measurements which does seem to be significantly improved after bariatric surgery sort of two to 5 years later but specifically mental health assessments not a lot of them have been done and i think that's really interesting and some studies have shown that in a, a significant proportion of patients mental health does get worse in fact
1: is it the case that currently doctors treat it as a secondary issue the primary issue is is getting someone down to a more healthy weight and cutting the risk of heart attack and stroke
0: Yes. I think also what's unrecognized is the fact that, well, a lot of people have mental health issues, full Uh. stop, whether you are living with obesity or not. And if you are someone who has been living with obesity for the majority of your life, you're much greater risk of, of having mental health problems for a whole host of reasons. You know, and that then feeds, pardon the pun, into comfort eating and a distorted relationship with food, which then has a knock on effect for a person's physical health as well. So all these things are so interlinked. And I guess that having one hour of psychological assessment before a procedure and exactly like Angela was saying, you know, these patients are desperate to have the weight off. That's all they want. That's their goal. And so, of course, they're going to say whatever they can to make sure that that happens. And yeah, I think with, you know, in, in every field with mental health and especially when it comes to overweight and obesity I just think that it's always seen primarily as a physical problem
1: also I mean losing 20% of your body weight must be so strange I mean not just looking in the mirror the way you carry your body the way as Angela was saying the way people look at you and interact with you Mm. I mean 20% of your body I mean that's losing like a, a limb or more and it's I think maybe that's not priced in how much difference that can make
0: yeah and because the assumption is just that well you'll be thinner so you'll be happier yeah another thing that a doctor said to me this week which i thought was really interesting is that the vast majority of patients when they look in the mirror they don't see themselves as thinner they don't see a difference which i find really interesting because on the other end of the spectrum eating disorder patients when they see themselves in the mirror don't see a thinner person they see a larger person yeah. so there's obviously something going on there kind of neurologically. Yeah, But I don't know, I've had two conversations with Angela this week and both of them made me very, very, very sad because this poor woman has just spent her whole life miserable and bullied and taunted and and now she's had this great procedure which is supposed to make it all better and it really hasn't.
1: I, I also think, and we touched on it there with Dr. Maris, that, you know, we've talked so much in the last year, we've talked about it multiple times this podcast about all these amazing new anti-obesity drugs and I was speaking to a doctor earlier today who works in them and who said they're combining you know, all manner of different chemicals and materials together to make even stronger drugs, um, which will you know, possibly make a beastier thing of the past in 10, 15 years time. That all sounds well and good, but there's obviously gonna be a knock on from that, right? I mean, you can't just cut down the body weight of so many millions of people in the country and they have no kind of impact on them.
0: Yeah, it's also, I think, wrapped up in this is a complete lack of understanding or an unwillingness to want to understand the complex reasons behind why people gain weight. Yeah, yeah. So much of it isn't just emotional, but it's also a habit. And habits, as we know, are really difficult to break. Yeah. And so, you know, somebody doesn't just reach a certain weight that's unhealthy for them because they're lazy or they have just, you know eaten too many pizzas like it's wrapped up in so many complicated emotions and um, those emotions obviously don't just go away they're still there and that was always my concern with the GLP-1 antagonists was that what happens if you're a person who eats because you've got emotional problems and you're perhaps mental health problems and you're trying to fill a hole and then a drug comes along and it takes that physical thing away But what happens to all of the feelings that are still there? Do they just disappear? I wouldn't have thought so. Uh,
1: And we know from the trials as well that the moment people stop taking the drugs, they put on the weight again because the issue which was leading to the weight gain is still there. It hasn't been dealt with. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, on that note, that's all we've got time for on this week's Medical minefield. You can read about this and a host of other health topics in this weekend's The Mail on Sunday, which you can consume in old-fashioned paper form online on mailplus.co.uk or on the mail app.
1: We'll be back with another topic on medical minefield next week. See you then. Goodbye. Goodbye.